Okay, good morning. I want to thank our uh, sponsors this morning, Dr. Zilan and Juliana Rosenblatt, in commemoration of the earth side of his beloved father, Avram ben Yisrael, whose neshama should have an aliyah. This week we have the privilege of beginning Parshas Vayikra, and with it the third book of our sacred Torah. third book is known as Torah's Koanim. It is the laws for Koanim, because, in fact, it is directed mostly to the Kohanim who offer the sacrifices in the Mishkan, in the Beis HaMikdash, it deals primarily with the laws of the various karbonos. One might see Sefer Vayikra as archaic, arcane, irrelevant, and accessible. It's uh, the hardest uh, Sefer as a rabbi to darshan about and to try to make come alive and resonate. But the truth is that that's a mistake. Because while the actual sacrifices temporarily don't exist, until, please God, the Beis HaMikdash will be rebuilt, at which time we'll bring them once again. There's a misnomer that the Rambam or Rav Kook believe that when Mashiach comes and the Beis HaMikdash will be rebuilt, human beings will have so progressed, we will be beyond animal sacrifice, which is barbaric. It's not true. It's a misconception. The clear sources teach us that Karbanas animal sacrifices will return. They'll return in all their glory. And they'll return with their great symbolism, which we'll talk about in a moment. But until then, even though we don't have the Beis HaMikdash and the opportunity to literally bring Karbanos, nevertheless, by learning and reading these passages, which not only do we study in our Parsha class, we say in our tefillah, in our davening, one of the most important parts of davening is unfortunately the most often neglected, or skipped over, or read quickly, which is the Karbanos, the introduction in the morning, the part that people think is negotiable or that they can leave out. But the Pasuk tells us, the Prophet Hosea tells us, Unishalma parim sfasenu, which means that our lips replace the sacrificial bulls. Though we can't bring them, when we read about them, when we talk about them, it is as if we are bringing them. And the Medrash and Shir Hashir and Rabbah teaches that when we're precluded from offering the physical sacrifices, Hashem sees our verbalizing and articulating their messages as if we have brought them as if they are a substitute. And so it's sad that people gloss over or read quickly or feel totally disconnected from the passages of the Korbanos, but they can and should continue to speak to us. How do they speak to us? Rav Hirsch, and I've shared this before, but I'll always share it as an introduction to Sefer Vayikra, because for me it's what I have found the most meaningful. Rav Shamshin Rafal Hirsch in his commentary on the Siddur offers what I think is the most magnificent insight into the meaning, the symbolism, what we're trying to accomplish, why the Karbonos we're about to study and read not only are not archaic or arcane or outdated or barbaric, but why they continue to be relevant to us today. Says Rav Hirsch, we live in two dimensions simultaneously. On the one hand, we have an animal impulse. We have that desire within us to do what we want, when we want, how we want. There's a temptation, there's distraction, there's an appetite, which seems insatiable at times. And we have that animal impulse to simply do what we want. But we also have a second component, and we live simultaneously in a second dimension. And that is, we have a tselem elokim. Hashem created us in His image. What does it mean to have a tselem elokim? If you look at the Mephorshim, the Rishonim on the word Tselem Elokim, the Nefesh Achayim later and others, Tselem Elokim, they say, is 
It's free will. The capacity to make choices, to be disciplined over our actions, to be sovereign over our behavior. That capacity is the Tzalem Elohim, that is the godly soul that He breathed into us. So there's a constant battle. There's a tension throughout our lives each and every day. Should I sleep in? Should I get up? Am I going to come late? Will I be on time? Will I talk during davening? Will I behave and concentrate? Will I share the juicy Lashon Hara? Or will I keep it under wraps? Will I look at that thing, say that thing, go there, eat that, do that? Our entire day, from eating the wrong things, kashras-wise or health-wise, saying the wrong things, we make a gazillion choices within the first five minutes of our day, and those are a battle. There's a war between the animal impulse, the earthly material component of who we are, the pleasure seeker, the procrastinator, the lazy, and the tzalem elokim that says, no, you can transcend, you're in charge, you're in control, you can make choices that make you feel elevated. That is the very purpose of creation, is to fight that battle. And even though we'll lose some of the battles, ultimately to lead our lives in a way in which we win the war. All of Judaism, all of Torah, all of Halacha is a platform for making the right choices. It's a guidebook for how to overcome the animal impulse and how to elevate and raise the experience of living in this physical world to a transcendent type of, type of life. Says Rav Hirsch, when a person takes an animal and comes to the Beis HaMikdash and sacrifices or gives the Kohanim to sacrifice the animal, what they're saying is, in this battle, God, I'm sacrificing the animal inside me. In this war, I'm taking that animal impulse. Yesterday it led me astray. I gave in to that voice. I did something that doesn't reflect the best version of who I am. And so today, I take an animal, symbolic of the animal in me, and God, I offer it to you to make the statement that going forward, my godly soul will supersede, it will control that animal impulse. A korban is a pledge to suppress and control the animal in us and do more to have our tzalem elokim triumph in the battle and ultimately define who we are. And refers says, all the components of bringing the sacrifices continue along this theme. So the notion of sprinkling the blood, one of the core acts of fulfilling a korban, corresponds with our commitment to direct our passions to Hashem. The burning of the fat of the chilev is our effort to eliminate gratuitous indulgencies, the fat in our life, which could be trimmed. The offering of the solace, the flour, the shemen, the oil, tells us that all of our sustenance and wealth are granted only with the consent and the support of the divine. And so they all have to be turned and offered back to Hashem as a mincha, as a gift, which is what we're going to study together this morning. And so, that symbolism, that significance, not only is it not outdated, not only is it not arcane, it's as relevant, maybe now more than ever. The idea of operating in two worlds, a physical and a spiritual, a physical and a metaphysical simultaneously. The battle, the war, to define who we are and how we operate. The significance of the statement, the affirmation, that I'm not the animal voice, and that I direct my indulgencies and my, and my fats and my basic necessity, and it's all directed towards you, Hashem, that is something which is as relevant for our generation as ever. And so, karbanos are not only 
not inaccessible to us, we daven with great kavana for the day they'll be returned, for when they will help us along that journey, in that battle, that significance of the symbolism that will remind us and propel us to be able to be triumphant. And until we have that day, when we read the Karbanas every morning, the Karban Tamid, which reminds us about consistency, and we read about the Ketoras, and we read the Parsha of the Korban Chatas, when we make a mistake, and how we, the animal impulse was the voice that drove that mistake, and so we pledge to be better in control of it. If we take the time to read these Korbanos, we're tapping into something, not only is it not outdated, but it's as relevant, and maybe as or more needed than, than ever. So that's introduction number one, Vayikra. You could also understand now, Vayikra begins, the very first word, if you look in the Sefer Torah, has a small aleph. It's known as an aleph zi'ira. At the shul dinner, I mentioned one reason, perhaps why that is. But there's another famous reason. We have a tradition that school children begin, the very first chumash they get when they start studying chumash is? Nope. That's a modern phenomenon. Bracia, it's so interesting, we give them bracious. But in Europe, in the Chadaram of yesteryear, and in some communities even until today, when school children begin their study of Chumash, their journey through Torah, it begins with Vayikra. And that's why it's an Aleph Zeira, the small Aleph in the word Vayikra is an allusion to that's where the small children begin. And I ask you, if you want children to love learning Chumash, <laughs> is that a very good place to begin? It's hard for us to relate to. All the more so young children. Why do we begin an introduction for young children from there? And I want to suggest, because Sefer Vayikra is all about sacrifice. It's about literally service. Service to God, sacrifices to create that relationship with God. Rafersh points out also the root of the word korban, sacrifice is karov. If you want to draw close to someone, you have to be willing to make sacrifices. If it's your way or the highway, if they have to meet your demands, your priorities, your needs, you're not going to be close. That creates greater distance. When you are demanding, when you are unrelenting, when you are uncompromising, when you're not willing to sacrifice to invest in a relationship, that yields distance. If you want to feel karov, if you want to connect, you want to draw close, you want to feel a sense of emotional intimacy, then you have to be willing to offer korbanos. You have to be willing to sacrifice. And we make korbanos in our lives in every relationship. You want to go out for fleshiks, and she wants to go out for milchiks. So it's her birthday, so you go out for milchiks. It's a korban you offer, you set aside. That's a, that's a petty, for some insignificant, for others highly significant compromise. Much greater compromises that people make in their lives. But the nature of a relationship is, is negotiating those compromises, is offering those, those sacrifices. Fine, I'll get out of bed to take out the garbage because we both forgot in tomorrow morning's garbage pickup and I'm going to sacrifice my comfort. I'm going to sacrifice sleeping in to get up early. So it's, We make sacrifices. And you know what the result of korbanos? is feeling karov. And that's the relationship with Hashem. So these are not arbitrary. They're not random. They're not meaningless. They're not barbaric. These are significant symbols that yield a sense of closeness, the willingness to sacrifice. And so where do we begin teaching children Chumash? Where do we begin teaching them about the relationship with Hashem? From the notion of korbanos. That religion 
and spirituality. You know, we live in the Western world in the, in the 21st century. Spirituality and religion are presented to us as if they're all about whom? You. It'll make you feel good and happy and high and kumbaya and amazing, spiritual and mystical. And we don't even know what that word spiritual means. But religion ultimately is not about you and what makes you feel good. Rabbi Salavechik has a famous footnote in his work, Halachic Man, in which he talks about religion ultimately is about submission. It's about submission. To concede that there is a higher power and higher order, that there's a creator, that he has expectations of us. Yes, when one submits, a life of religious submission leads to a life of meaning and purpose and joy and fulfillment. True. But that's not why we do it. And that's not always clearly visible to us. So this is missing. It's missing. I'll never forget teaching a group of teenage boys about tefillin. And um, mentioning how I see so many leave their tefillin when the school was housed in the shul. They leave it here over the weekend. That means they're not taking it home. They're not putting it on on Sunday mornings. How could you miss a day? Why would you miss a day? Part of the similar theme of the karbonos. Tefillin are made entirely out of an animal. Every part of it. Even the thread through which the tefillin are sewn or the veins and sinews of the animal. Every part of the tefillin is made from an animal. The straps, the boxes, the parchment, the stitching, it's all from an animal. What's the symbol? What's the message? I take an animal, the most base creature, but by fashioning it into tefillin and containing the messages of my relationship with Hashem and binding it to my heart, my emotions, to my head, my intellect, I have transformed and elevated the most base animal to something holy. You can't drop tefillin, you can't bring them in the bathroom. We kiss our tefillin affectionately. We make a bracha when we put them on. We don't miss a day. The Gemara says a person who, who missed putting on tefillin ever has no portion, no entrance to the world to come. That's what led the Rebbe's campaign. Put tefillin on people. When I was at APAC last week, I saw the greatest thing. 18,000 people. So when, um, when the vice president spoke, the Secret Service had extra layers of, of security. And there was 18,000 people going through security. Imagine you get to the airport, TSA, 18,000 people simultaneously <laughs> are trying to get through. So that's what it's like. They do the best they can, and it's pretty efficient considering. But it's a long, snaking line. It takes forever. You know, and it's not like Disney that they have screens playing things every uh, three seconds. It's a long line. So everyone else in the line is fetching, complaining. Their legs hurt, they're tired. It's taking forever. And I see behind me is a Chabad rabbi. I don't even know his name. I'm embarrassed to tell you. And I love, he takes out of his bag a pair of tefillin and he starts going up and down the line putting tefillin on people. It's unbelievable. There were 4,000 college students. That's who we went to first. And you know what the most amazing thing is? They said yes. Like we would hesitate and we would never want to. We wouldn't want to impose and we'd be shy and we'd be embarrassed and we'd be afraid. It looks like we are indoctrinating. And so even if we were willing, we'd go up and we'd say, maybe if it's possible, if you don't want to, I understand. I'm sorry. He walks up and he says, did you put film on today? And I'm expecting everyone to look at him and say, get back in line. Leave me alone. I didn't come here to put film on. And they say, no, Sure. Hands them a yarmulke, roll up their sleeve. It's an unbelievable thing to watch. Everyone else is wasting time on a line. 
And he is giving people an entrance into the world to come. It's an unbelievable thing. It's an unbelievable thing. It's exactly what tefillin are. You take a mundane moment and you transform it. You lift it. So tefillin are an animal, the most basic thing. So I'm telling these children, these students, these teenagers, they're not children, the beauty of tefillin and how um, I tell them a story. Every year, uh, Yom HaShoah time, I teach some tshuvas from Imamakim, Rav Oshri, the Rav of the Kovna Ghetto, who answered unimaginable questions in the ghetto, and he wrote down on scraps of paper the questions and his answers. He didn't have access to a library. And after the war, when he survived, they recovered the scraps, and he expanded it into a five-volume set of responses. Just astounding questions. And in it was a question of an 11- or 12-year-old boy who excelled in the yeshiva. I may have shared this with you before. And he comes to Rav Oshri and he says, Rebbe, let's be honest. It's unlikely I'm going to live to my bar mitzvah. We see what's happening around us. We know what's going on. I'm no fool. I will, it's unlikely that I'll ever see my bar mitzvah. I cannot imagine going to my grave, he says, without putting on tefillin. So even though I'm not yet bar mitzvah, I think he was 12 years old, may I begin to put on tefillin now. Can I put on tefillin already? Because I can't imagine dying having never worn tefillin. And Rav Oshie goes through a tshuva that talks about why do we wait to 13 and can you start early and different customs. Some start a month before, some start a week before. Can you start even earlier? And if he has a gufnaki, if the boy can be conscientious and mindful. And of course he told the young man he could wear tefillin. And I turned to this group of teenagers and I said, this boy in the Kovna ghetto would have a right to say to God, I'm not interested in your tefillin, I'm not interested in davening to you, I don't even believe you're there, and how could you put me through this? Instead, in that most horrific circumstance, says the opposite. I can't imagine not wearing tefillin. And I said to these teenagers, we who have the freedom and the luxury and the opportunity and 17 minyanim to go to, and as late as 9.30 in the morning, how could you not put on tefillin? Or even when you, 11 o'clock in the morning, put on tefillin when you wake up. And you know what the teenager said to me? Why should I? It doesn't do anything for me. I wrapped them around my arm. It does nothing for me. Why should I do something that does nothing for me? I'm not going to spend time now because I actually do want to get to the parsha. <laughs> that that mentality and that attitude, which is pervasive in different generations and I think represents some of our greatest challenge. But that's what the Rav was responding to long ago, that religion is about submission. Mesiris nefesh. Our great-grandparents didn't do everything they did because they wanted to. They did it because it was a responsibility. It was an identity. It was a transmission. It was a source of, it was a source of continuity. So the idea of korban, of sacrifice, of mesiris nefesh, of submission, of concession, of not everything we do is because it makes us feel great. First of all, start doing it. Maybe it will make you feel great. Do it and learn why you're doing it, which will make it feel great. And even after all of that, it still doesn't feel great? You think it felt great? For the Jews who came to America who got fired every Friday because they wouldn't work on Shabbos, you think keeping Shabbos felt great? Not everything we do feels great. And maybe that's the reason, the small aleph, that the children begin learning Chumash with Sefer Vayikra because the core value when you're starting a relationship with Hashem which is really a model for every relationship in life. You think it feels great to get out of bed and take the garbage out? Because everyone forgot that the next day is garbage day? It doesn't feel good. But that korban leaves you feeling karov. 
whether you understand it, whether it feels good or not. So the parsha begins, Vayikra Moshe, the small Aleph, when a person brings a korban to God, from animals, cattle, from flock, takrivu es korban chem. And I want to read to you Rabbi Salavitchik's comment on those opening words. We've discussed them in the past. You can listen online. Why Adam? Why Mikem? Why Lashem? All that's obvious. Adam, it's obvious you're the one bringing the korban. Mikem, it's obvious it's coming from you. Lashem, it's obvious you're doing it for him. Minabahema, you're bringing a korban. Who else? Are you, where else are you bringing it from? Almost every word in that pasuk is superfluous. Why is it all there, and what is it teaching? Like I say, we talked about it in the past, but I want to share Rabbi Salavitchik's comment. He says the precept of sacrifice is a central motif in Judaism. To live in accord with God's word is identical with living a sacrificial life. To act morally is synonymous with sacrificial action. God summoned man in his sacrificial service. What was man called upon to sacrifice? Judaism gives a straightforward answer to this basic theological and ethical question. Man must offer everything he possesses. Nothing is to be spared and nothing is to be saved for man. What we have is for God. We say it in Shema every day. means with all your heart should say libecha. Why does it say levavcha? Two hearts? Because we have two hearts. We have four chambers that have two hearts. Yetzah Tov and Yetzah And we direct both of them towards God. Bechol nafshecha. Afilu hu notelis nafshecha. Rabbi Akiva on his deathbed when he was martyred by the Romans said, I have the opportunity to fulfill this mitzvah. It's not one we seek. It's not one we volunteer. But if presented, how many martyrs gave their lives for being Jews. Bechol nafshecha. And what's bechol me'odecha? Bechol mamoncha. With all of your, all your resources. Is tuition expensive? Yes. Is Pesach going to be very expensive? Absolutely. Should we work in order to make it more affordable? A hundred percent. But in the end of the day, does it take sacrifice to be an observant Jew? Once upon a time, it took sacrificing your life, risking your life. Today, it's sacrificing your bank account. In America, our Messiris Nefesh of the Orthodox Jew in the 21st century, our Messiris Nefesh is our bank account. The cost of living a Jewish life. Is there Messi- That's Pachoma Odecha. You know, who's the one, Henny Youngman, who's the one who had the whole, your money or your life? I'm thinking Jack about Benny. Jack, Jack Benny. Benny. Whoever, Jack Benny. Your money or your life, right? So, for some people, which is the hardest one to give God? Bechol Levavcha, Bechol Navshecha, Bechol Odecha. For some, it's Bechol Ma'odecha, right? I'm thinking about it. Bechol Ma'odecha, to give... I heard a beautiful Bechol Ma'odecha is Ma'od. Whatever you crave Ma'od more and more of, that's what you have to direct to God. You're Ma'od. So says the Rav, whatever you have, you have it, and you have to be willing to sacrifice it in the service of Hashem. The service of Hashem means in the service of His vision for the world, to make the world a better place. Somebody... Uh, gave a very large donation to Tom Cheshabbos, a very beautiful donation this week. And they said, not just to the typical Tom Cheshabbos cards, but to cut a specific check to every family on Tom Che, and to give the families who have young children specifically money to buy them afikoman presents. A very beautiful donation. So I saw him yesterday at a shiva house, and I went over and I gave him an enormous thank you. 
because it's really transformative for those families and helpful to me in raising that money. And he looked at me like I was crazy and he said, what are you talking about? It's not mine. That money's not mine. It's Hashem's, represents his miser, his obligation to give. And that mentality, it's not mine. What do you mean? What are you thanking me for? It's not mine. I didn't do anything. Someone asked me to give it to you, I gave it. If someone gave you a check and asked you to hand it to me at the Pasha class, and I was thanking you profusely for the check, wouldn't you look at me like I was crazy and say, you're making me feel stupid. I just handed you the check. It's somebody else's. So that was his attitude last night. What, what are you thanking me so profusely? This is someone else's. Hashem asked me to hand you the check. I'm handing you the check. It's not mine. That's Bechol Ma'odecha. And that's what the Rav says, Kiyakrev Mikem. The logic of this answer is self-evident, writes the Rav. A sacrificial action consists in restoring that which man heretofore considered his own to its rightful owner, returning to the master that which was entrusted to man's care, and of which he erroneously and impudently took possession. Since here is nothing within the reach of man which he does not have entrust for and from God, there's nothing whose return to God would not be considered a hallowed sacrificial service. Even if you volunteer your time, if you're giving your time to Hashem, who gave you that time here on earth? So whether you're writing a check with your money, you're volunteering your time, you're directing your energy. And when I say to Hashem, I don't mean Hashem is so egocentric and narcissistic that He needs your attention. <clears throat> giving it to Hashem means giving it to His vision for this world. It means giving it to His children. It means giving it to the world. Man must return to the master of the universe not only all of his possessions in the form of physical goods, but himself as well. His body, mind, spirit, soul, the whole of his existence and all of its boundless manifestation at all levels. That's Kiyakrav Mikem. You're giving you. You're giving everything about you. And the Rav goes on, but I want to get into the Parsha. One more. It's not an introduction. It is the Parsha. But if you go forward, if you psuk him, it says, Pasach Gimel. Imolokor banomina bakar zachar tamim yakrivenu. The sacrifice, what page are we on? 544, if you're in the yard scroll, Stone Chumash. If a sacrifice is a burnt offering from cattle, an unblemished male, v'samach yadoa rosha ola, the notion of smicha, you lean your hands, smicha, person had to lean. What's the nature of smicha? Are women obligated in smicha? Which karbonos get smicha? Where was smicha done? When was smicha done? It's worthy of study in its own right. The idea of leaning on the animal. When you lean on something so it's supporting you, it's holding you up, it takes on your status. You're transferring it. When I, after my Chag HaSmicha, when I got Smicha, my parents took the family out for, remember? We went out for dinner. Hunan Tinek, Allah Vashalom, on Cedar Lane. No longer Hunan, but I enjoyed Hunan. So I gave a Dvar Torah at that dinner, my first Dvar Torah as an ordained rabbi. And I suggested that that's what Smicha is. The same way Smicha, we lean on the animal, and the animal bears the burden of the one leaning. So when those who receive Smicha... It means the Jewish community is now leaning on them. They carry the burden, they carry the responsibility of those who are leaning on them. Maybe that's an additional layer of what smicha means. So how does this pass again? V'nirtza lo lechaper alav. It will be accepted for him. V'nirtza lo. It will be accepted. That word nirtza, sound familiar? Why? At the Seder. It's one of the steps of the Seder. V'nirtza. What's nirtza at the Seder? You're drunk by then. You have no clue. <laughs> What's near to the Seder? That's Magid. Now, 
Nirza is, it will be accepted, it will be appeased, reconciled. So what does it mean here? You bring the carbon, you do the smicha, the nirza lo. It will be accepted for him. Why? L'chaper alav. It achieves atonement, it achieves kapara. So here the Rav writes, In our weekday Shemona Esrei, we end the petitionary section starting with the word Shema Koleinu. Right, the last of the Bakasha, the middle section of the Amida. First three brachos are static, they're always the same. The last three brachos are always the same. The first three are Shevach, or the praise. Why do we offer Shevach before Bakasha? We offer praise before we offer supplication. Why? So you might think, strategically, that's very good. My mother said, Mom, you look, you look beautiful today. Did I tell you how beautiful you look? Have I mentioned you're the most amazing mother of all time? May I? Listen, I need help with carpool. Would you mind driving the carpool? Right? So strategically, butter up. Strategically, you might think, why Shevach? Hashem, have I mentioned how beautiful you look? Have I told you recently how gadol gibor venora you are? Well, I got a few things I need. Rav Pinkus in Sha'aram Betfila says, Chas v'shalom. If you think my mother and my wife don't see through that, for sure Hashem sees through that. Now, you're not pulling the wool over God's eyes. God, let me tell you, you're so strong and mighty and great. It doesn't work. So why are we doing it? Says Rapinkis, because when there's someone in front of you who clearly has the power to provide what you need, you don't need to be reminded of who they are and your dependence on them. You know it. That's why you're there. But Hashem is invisible. Hashem, we're constantly struggling to feel connected, to see, to feel His presence. So before we begin Bakasha and say, Hashem, give health, give Parnassah, give justice, bring redemption. Before I start Shevach, I remind myself who God is, how categorically different we are, and how utterly dependent I am on Him. Shevach is an exercise in positioning me to have a meaningful Bakasha. So it doesn't precede Bakasha because it's strategic. I'm not kissing up to Hashem in order to get from Him what I want. I am orienting myself. I'm reminding myself who He is so that when I get up to Bakasha, now I know before whom I'm standing. So what's the last of the Bakasha? All week long we have 19 brachas. Three in the beginning, three in the end. How many in the middle? 13. When we recite the Chasrei. Called the Shmonas, right? There was an additional bracha added, Velamashinim. Thirteen brachas in the middle. On Shabbos and Yantif, those thirteen middle brachas are replaced by how many? The middle ones are replaced by one. Makadesh HaShabbos or Makadesh Yisroel Vazmanim, bringing it to a total of seven. The number seven represents wholeness, completion. Because during the week, 19. During the week, I got the 13 middle one. I need this, and I need this, and I need this, and this is a problem, and I'm working on that. God, please come through with me there. Come Shabbos and Yantav, 7. I feel whole. I'm complete. That'll all be waiting for me after Havdalah. But for Shabbos or Yantav, serenity, peace, tranquility, 7 brachas, no requests, no needs. Not only am I not obligated to offer bakasha on Shabbos, I am prohibited. One is forbidden from offering bakasha on Shabbos. What's the last of the 13 supplications? Shema Koleinu. Listen to our voice, Hashem. Immediately following Shema Koleinu, what do we say next? Paragraph that begins with the word? Ritzei. 
reminiscent to Rav Vinirtsalo. Ritzay. I finish offering all my requests, and then I say Ritzay. Ritzay. Hashem, find favor in your people and in our tefillah, and accept in love and favor. Please accept the, the fire offerings of the Jewish people and our prayers. It would seem, says the Rav, that the theme of this later blessing is identical to the earlier one. It's superfluous. What's the difference between Shema Koleinu, Kabel Beratzon Asfilaseinu, Kabel Beratzon, Rachamu Beratzon Asfilaseinu, and then Ritzei, which is redundant. It seems like it's repeating the same exact theme of Shema Koleinu. Why did the Anshei Knesset see fit to repeat the same request in sequence? Answers Rabbi Salavechik. The theme of Shema Koleinu is that God should accept our prayer. The theme of, of Ritzei is that our prayer should be considered a sacrifice. The word Ritzei evokes the phrase Venir Tzalo in the context of sacrifice. Through this statement, indeed through this entire benediction, something wondrous takes place. Our prayer, which until this point has been in the form of a conversation, is now transformed into a sacrifice. The term Avodah Shebelev, service of the heart, Inherent to prayer is an act of self-sacrifice. So in other words, I'm going to embellish what the Rav says, but the 13 supplications I say, I want health, and I want the stock market to go up, and I want justice served, and I need your redemption, and I'm thinking about all these other people, and the Shema Koleinu, which is the generic, where I put in whatever I want to say, why do I want all that, and why do I ask all that? And I can't tell you how important it is to offer your own Words. Anshay Knesset Zagadola gave us a template. They made it easy. They gave us the template. But every template is meant to be filled in. And the Amida is no different. Yesterday was my wife's birthday. So, I got a card. Can you imagine if I handed her the card, a blank card? It had, you know, whatever Hallmark or American Greeting said, but I didn't add anything new. She'd hand it right back to me. She'd say, it's nice that you thought about getting a card but you didn't write anything personal in it. On the other hand, imagine if I got a napkin and I wrote on the back of the napkin a beautiful, loving thought message and I handed her this napkin. She'd hand the napkin back to me and she'd say, sentiment is very beautiful. You couldn't get a card? <laughs> we all know. You got to get a card and you got to fill it in. And if you're really good, you underline some of the words on the card. You got to do both. It's personalized, but it also shows the effort of the template. So davening, the sitter, is our hallmark card. Anshay Kinos says, Agdola did us a favor, they did the shopping for us. And they gave us the card. And they said, read the card three times a day. But we're turning to Hashem, our loving spouse, our loving father, our loving boss, our loving friend, our loving shepherd. And we're handing him a card that we didn't bother writing anything personal into. You have to, in each bracha, personalize it. And if you have nothing to think about for every bracha, I would say, not that your life is great, I'd say you're delusional. Because there's no one alive who doesn't have something to say in each bracha. If it's not for yourself, it's for others. And if you have no one to daven for, see me later, I'll give you a long list. People's health, shidduch, children, well-being, brothers and sisters in Israel, challenges around the world. There's no shortage of things to daven for. So we're supposed to fill in the card with our own words. And then we deliver the card to Hashem three times a day. So when we deliver it, all the 13 things we're asking for, are we asking them for ourselves? 
certainly we're asking, we want to live a happy, healthy, meaningful, pleasurable life. But I think what the Rav is saying is that when we follow up the 13 supplications with Ritzei, Nirza, we're saying, this is our korban to you. We want all that so that we can be a, lead a life of service to you. Why do I want to be healthy? And why do I want to have resources at my disposal? And why do I seek justice and redemption? Because Hashem, that's your vision for this world. And I want to play my part. I want to fulfill my role. I want to complete my mission. And I need that in order to do what you want from me. So I ask all my things that I ask for the 13 brachos, and then I say, Ritzei, v'nir tzalo. And then I turn to Hashem and I say, this avodah shebelev, I've just gone through an exercise which is the equivalent of a sacrifice. If the Beis Amikdash existed today, I wouldn't be saying the Amidah. Anche Knesset Agadola wrote the Amidah only after the destruction of the Beis Amikdash. We didn't daven formally the way we daven today. I once gave a talk in Boynton Beach uh, two years ago, a year ago, about how different Judaism looked in the traditional community, in the Torah community, between the Temple times and today. So much of what we see as a staple of Judaism today didn't exist in the Temple times. Before the rabbis instituted the laws of Muktzah, imagine what Shabbos looked like. Before Anshay Knesset instituted davening three times a day and the format of the Siddur, Think about what Yom Kippur looked like for a Jew. For us, it's associated with being in shul all day long. So, we don't have a Beis HaMikdash. We say to Hashem, you know, I came to shul, I was earlier, I was in time, I didn't talk. I said every word in the Siddur, P'suke de Birchus HaShachar, Korbonos, P'suke de Zimra, Birchus Kriyashma, and I just delivered this Amida to you? That Avoda Shebelev, the Avoda, that's my sacrifice Shebelev. I was ki'ilu just in the Beis HaMikdash offering you a sacrifice, making a statement that I want to suppress the animal in me and I want to direct all of my gifts and talents to you. And that's why the Ritzei is Venirza. And it's not a coincidence, concludes the Rav. When did the Kohanim go up to Duchen? When did they take off their shoes and climb, ascend the Bima to Duchen? The blessing of Kohanim is connected to the benediction of Ritzei, since that blessing was made after the completion of the communal sacrifices in the temple. Without this blessing, the temple service was incomplete. Kohanim therefore walked to the platform during the bracha of Ritzei. It's this bracha that transforms the Amida into a communal sacrifice. So our individual Amida, followed by Ritzei, is our Korban Yachid. It's our private Avoda. And then the Chazar Sashatz, with its Ritzei, is the Korban Sibur, that is the, that is the communal sacrifice followed by its, its Ritzei. Okay, let's get to our section. Overview of the Parsha is, talks a lot about Korbanas. Let's get to our section. Perak Bez, Pasuk Aleph. Here the Torah is talking about the Korban Mincha. The Nefesh, when a person offers a korban mincha, a mincha is a meal offering. His offering is a fine flour, pours oil upon it, and places frankincense on it. Anyone know what frankincense is? The art scroll says it's the hardened sap of a tree. Granules that were small but easy to manipulate comes from a tree. Apparently it's the sap of a tree. So when the meal offer is offered, 
There's a fine flour, ground flour, and you put oil, and you put the frankincense, this granules of sap, next to it. You bring it to the children of Aaron, namely the Kohanim. And then he scoops it up with his hand. We'll talk about it in a moment. Misalta umishamna from the flour and from the oil, al kol levonosa, and as well the sap. He causes his portion to go up and smoke on the altar, a fire offering, a satisfying aroma to Hashem. We talked about reach nichoach several weeks ago. Hashem's nostrils, erech apayim, charon af, reach nichoach. The remnant of the meal offering that didn't burn. They eat it. It is from the fire offerings that belong to Hashem. Very interesting. Rashi picks up on a word. This section of carbon is all kinds of carbonos. Chatas and a shlamim and an ola and a carbon toda, which is a type of shlamim. And you have all kinds of carbonos. They come from all kinds of animals. Sometimes it's an amazing barbecue for the Kohanim. Sometimes it's Lagavoa. The whole animal is burnt and is dedicated for Hashem. But this is the only sacrifice introduced with the word Nefesh. The Nefesh Kisakriv. Says Rashi, why the Nefesh? Lo nemar Nefesh b'chol korbanos n'dava. It doesn't say Nefesh when it comes to the other voluntary korbanos. And n'dava is a voluntary korban. It's not mandated, but it's voluntary. Ela b'mincha, mincha is the only one. Midarkol is nadev mincha, because who brings the mincha? Who is the one? What category, what demographic brings the mincha? Ani, the indigent. Why? An animal is not, I mean, think about what it costs to get a little oyster steak. Think about what a little strip steak costs. Now imagine buying the whole animal. An animal is not an inexpensive proposition. So, if you're bringing a voluntary offering, who can afford the expensive animal? Only the wealthy person. So what does that mean? The poor person has no access to volunteering to Hashem? They do. What kind of sacrifice do they bring? What's accessible to the indigent? Flour. It's the basic staple. The poor person, it takes more for the poor person to be able to get that flower and give that, than the rich person who brings the magnificent animal. So God says, Nefesh, when the poor man or woman, when the poor person toils, works hard, takes the little they have, scrunches it, scrambles it together to give a measly little flower, Hashem says, I accept that as if they gave their Nefesh, as if they gave their soul, because that's what it means. This is also, uh, the Balaturim expands on this. Amar nefesh b'mincha, l'fisha nafsho hiba'a, sha'ani toreach b'nafsho, at shehisig le'eviyah. It says nefesh with mincha, because the poor person toils, till they can afford to bring even this modest korban. Ba'ofa v'mincha l'nemar l'fnei Hashem k'mo b'ben bakar, sha'aniyem m'viyim osom v'zbaishim l'aviyo osom v'nei akol. When it comes to the bird, or the flower, it doesn't say the sacrifices before God, as it does with the bakar, the cattle. Why? Because the rich person who brings the cattle wants the world to see. Put my name in lights. I, afford, I could afford the animal. The poor person, 
who brings the bird, which is more modest than the bat cattle, or the flower, even more modest than the flower, is embarrassed. So that carbon is offered only in front of Aaron the Kohanim. It's discreet because the poor person is humiliated. They're shamed by how little they can offer. And it says, it doesn't just say to the Kohanim. Why? Because the Kohen Gadol himself should accept the Mincha. Because who is deserving of the honor? The Ani. The Ani. Someone gives a million dollar donation but it represents 5%, whereas the poor person gives $100, but it represents 20%, who has given the greater gift? The poor person. So what the flower, though it's less, means to the poor person, but proportionally, percentage, its effect on, I gotta tell you, even if the rich person gives 50%, the impact on their lifestyle is less than the poor person who gives 5%. So, nefesh. When the poor person gives, they're giving their nefesh. They're giving themselves, and that's noted by Hashem Himself. The Ibn Ezra also makes mention of this. Says the Ibn Ezra, Nefesh Adam, Hizkira nefesh amincha nedava, Gama nefesh tikr nedava, Nediva, V'ruach nediva tismacheni. The nefesh is considered a gift from Hashem, and mincha... What does the word mincha mean? The translation of the word mincha is doron. It's a gift. It's a gift. Why is it? Why is the afternoon prayer called a mincha? Shacharis represents shachar, the morning. Arvis is erev, the evening. The afternoon tefillah is called mincha. Why was it named mincha? We couldn't come up with a word for afternoon. Shacharis is shachar, is morning. It's the prayer for the morning. Shacharis. Arvis, mariv, erev. It's the prayer for the evening. Mincha is a gift. Why is it called a gift? I don't remember who says this, but it's someone prominent. The afternoon prayer is called a mincha because, and, and Chazal quote, the Gemara says that mincha is the most auspicious, it's the most beloved, it's the most cherished of all three tefillahs to Hashem. Why? Because it's the hardest one to offer. To sneak in a shacharis before you start your day, you find the time. To squeeze in a marav at the end of your day, life is starting to settle down. But mincha, which my wife will tell you never comes at a good time. We go through this conversation every time with the clock change. I thought it, wasn't, I thought it was the worst time before the clock change. How could it still be the worst time now? It's always the worst time. It's always the worst time. So... Mincha is the worst time. The middle of your work day, the middle of dinner, the middle of bedtime, the middle of... It's very hard to coordinate getting in Mincha. So that's our gesture of a gift to Hashem. It's called Mincha. It's a gift to Hashem. So as the Ibn Ezra is reciprocating the gift Hashem gave us. What was the gift Hashem gave us? It's called a Nefesh. The Nefesh was the gift Hashem gave us. The gift we give Him is to direct that Nefesh. So people who are very careful about Shacharis but neglect Mincha and even Marev... Mincha is, the Chazal tell us, it is the most cherished. One should make the extra effort to daven Mincha. Says the Kliyakar Mincha. Mitarko lesnadev Mincha. Ani, Amar Kadosh Baruch Malani, I love Kliyakar of Nafsho. Mitam zenemar beparshat sav, matzos tochal, teachel, vahainu lechem oni. 
So that's why the Korban Mincha is never leaven. The Korban Mincha is forbidden to be allowed to turn into chametz. You don't offer chametz in the Mizbeach. The Korban Mincha was matzah, because it's the Korban of the Ani. And the matzah is humble, as opposed to chametz, which is inflated. And says the Kliyakar, the order of our psukim is in the order of hierarchy of prosperity, and that also corresponds with how predisposed you are towards sin. The more wealth you have, the greater temptation you face. I don't know if sociologically there's been a study that shows this. The Kliyakar posits that the wealthier you are, the greater the Yitzhahara. The poorer you are, the more humble you are, the less the Yitzhahara. When a Nasi does a chait, what he has to do, it doesn't say if the Nasi does a chait, it says when. Why? This for sure we know. The more prominent you are, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. You don't have to be a rocket scientist, you just have to turn on the news to see that. First we have Bakar, then we have Tzon. Then we have Tzon. Then we have the bird. Then we have the bird. The poorest of the poor bring the Mincha. They can't even afford a bird, let alone, let alone the other animals. So he goes through the Kliyakar, read the rest of the Kliyakar. He says the order of the Karbanos corresponds with the wealth of the one bringing it, and the wealth or the stature, the prominence of the one bringing it, the more prominent, the more likely you'll need to bring a Karban. That prominence, that stature, that wealth, that power will more likely position you to have to bring a, a korban. The Pasuk said, Veviel b'nei Aaron. You bring it to the children of Aaron and the Kohanim. And here it says Rabbi Salavechik, from the time of the Hashmonaim and the Greek Hellenists, Sefer Vayikra has been attacked mercilessly for the institution of korbanos. The Gemara tells the story of Miriam, daughter of Bilga who apostatized and married a Greek officer. She entered the temple, removed her shoe, and banged it on the altar. And she said, Wolf, wolf, how long will you consume the material wealth of the Jewish people while you do not protect them in their time of need? The early Christians, says the Rav, sought to attack the institution of the temple and took aim at the Kohanim and the temple service. Anyone familiar with the history of this period knows how deep their hatred ran towards Torah's Kohanim a hatred that intensified during the rise of Christianity in the Middle Ages. They consistently sought to deride and belittle the institution of Korbanos. Throughout the years, the form of derision has changed, but the intent remains the same. One of the earliest modifications enacted by the Reformed Judaism was the excision of Korbanos from the Seder Tefillah. Modern biblical criticism 
is a veiled atheistic and agnostic attempt to continue the Christian attack against Torah's Kohanim. The use of the term priestly code by Bible critics is a thinly concealed attempt to discredit Sefer Vayikra, branding it as a subsequent addition to the canon written by a group of Kohanim after the return from Babylonian exile to Zion to force a priestly aristocracy on the people. Knesset Israel remained faithful and true to our Mesorah. We have stood strongly in defense of Torah's Kohanim, displayed more devotion and commitment to its study with each attempt at discrediting it, as expressed by all the books and commentary that have been written on Sefer Vayikra. The Talmud Bavli includes only Masechah's brachos of Seder Zoran, as the other tractates related to agriculture apply in Eretz Yisrael, and therefore more fully covered in the Talmud Yushami. Masechah's Nida is the only tractate of Talmud in Seder Taharos, with the rest limited to Mishnayis. When it comes to Kodshim, however, the Bavli contains a full set of Masechtas. Our devotion, even in exile, is evident by the fact that all the Midrashic books written on the Torah, only the Sifra de Beirav, referred to as Korah Torah's Kohanim, was written in Bavel. Rashi and Tosus, the classic commentaries on Bavli, are not available for Mishnayas, Taharos, and Zeroim. But Rashi and Tosus commented on Kodshim as extensively as they did on Moed and Nashim. Very beautiful. The Rav is saying that Korbanos, the institution of the Beis Amikdash, the Kohanim have been under attack. Christians, bibl- biblical criticism, and what have we done? We place a special emphasis. Again, maybe this answer is why we teach children from a young age. But how many Perushan have been written? And that we preserved Mesechtos. This should be meaningful. Tafyomi is going to be beginning Zvachim soon. To reinforce Kachim in our daily lives, the passage Ezu Mekoman Mishnayis from Zvachim is included in our daily Siddur. We include the opening section of Torah's Kohanim, the Brice of Rabbi Shmuel, and the 13 attributes to which the Torah is explicated in our Korbanos to reinforce the inherent connection between Torah Shabbat and Torah Shabbat specifically regarding Korbanos. According to one opinion in the Gemara, our daily tefillahs are directly con- Neshama Paras Fasenu, as we mentioned earlier. So the Rav says, despite the seemingly absurdity of hoping for such a future in such a dark and foreboding time, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai had the courage to look forward to see a future of Avodah's based on Mikdash. We don't reject this. It's not arcane. It's not behind us. It's something which is very much part of our lives, should be part of our liturgy. And when we tap into its rich meaning, we can be elevated in that process and hopefully give the strength to our godly soul to conquer our animal impulse. Have a great day.